So here's the situation. Some time ago, maybe it's decades or just a few months, your whole life changed. You started following Jesus. Now you sleep better at night because Jesus saved you from one of life's greatest burdens, the dread of God's judgment for your sin. It's been erased. This doesn't mean all your problems went away, though. Many remain, but your relationship with the living God has been reconciled. Because Jesus took your place and stood condemned for you and your sin and took God's judgment to set you free from it, your burden's been lifted. And while that truth gives us many occasions to sing and to celebrate and to be joyful in what he has done, you, believer, still live with some pressures and tension in your life, don't you? In fact, God doesn't take them all away. You've unloaded your old burdens indeed, but you've picked up new responsibilities now. You've benefited and become the target of God's love and mercy in Christ. And you've come to see that his love is better than life itself. You're a child of God now. And you're starting to see the immense privilege that it is to be a child of God. But with this great privilege comes great responsibility. He who saves you calls you to live a certain way. He says in Ephesians 5, 1-2, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says of all believers in 1 Peter 4, uh, 1, 14-16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, life B.C., before Christ, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So all followers of Christ are called to live in holiness and imitate God as his beloved, his dearly, Beloved children, not sliding back into our old ways of life, but conducting ourselves in holiness because through faith in Christ, we've become new people. We love God now and we want to love him back now, don't we? So how do we reciprocate the love to God? How do we respond to his love? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the way we're to respond to the heavenly father's immense love towards us as his children is to obey his commands. And here's the rub and responsibility we live with as Christians. While God knows us better than we know ourselves, and while we recognize that we are rescued and continue to grow by his amazing grace, he has given us his spirit to live in us and be with us. We're not left alone to obey him. He has actually given us his spirit to help us to walk in obedience to his commands. But here's the thing. None of his commands are optional. And what's more is that as we read the Bible, we notice that all of God's commands are actually relational. They relate to our relationship with him and our relationship with other people made in his image. God's commandments aren't suggestions nor are they meant to be obeyed in isolation. His commands are to be obeyed all the way in all our relationships, in communities, with real people. So our love for God is meant to be expressed in our relationships with others. 
which makes them even more difficult to follow, right? Especially when we consider what Jesus says. He calls his followers to love others like he loved us by laying down his life, referring to the cross. That's a high standard. To love others like Christ loves the church requires sacrificing yourself for their well-being, for the well-being of others. It means being sacrificial in your relationships with other Christians. And some of the toughest situations in uh, our lives today, the toughest situations us Christians face in life seem to me to include loving the people that are closest to us, right? Extremely difficult to love wisely and deliberately the people that are closest to us that we can't just say have a good day to. We live right with them. But we who God has forgiven and loved are called to obey him by sacrificially loving others in all of life's situations. This is the privilege and pressure we Christians live with. And this is how we grow to be more like Christ. More loving, more obedient, more holy, more set apart for him and his good purposes. So the church is meant to be a people, a community of people who are growing and developing relationships that are committed to love, committed to obedience, and committed to holiness. And that's because Christ himself is committed to loving and making his church more holy through our obedience. And what is true in the church is also true in marriage, I believe. Married Christians will know that marriage itself is a relationship with major potential for us to grow to be more like Christ. More loving, more obedient, more holy. We take these commands, we take this relationship we have with God into this relationship with our spouse. So today I'd like to look at one command given to husbands from Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27. So you can turn there with me. It's on page 979 of the Bibles in front of you. And my plan today is to go through this short text with eyes, first looking to see how Jesus cares for his bride, the church. Then we'll see how us husbands are to care for our brides in like manner. Now before you say, hey, most of us here aren't husbands. Uh, Why is your whole sermon targeting just husbands? Know your audience, pal. (laughs) To which I say, just wait. As you'll see, the whole direction of this passage has much to say to us believers, because the passage is primarily about Christ's husbandly care for his bride, the church. So applications will abound for all. But you'll have to wait for a few minutes to get there. Okay, so first let's read this text and then we'll pray together. Uh, Short text starting in Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we uh, recognize your word is life, brings light to our very path. It gives insight to our lives as we consider the relationships that are most difficult to us. Lord, we want to ask that you would give us fresh mercies, new mercies, and grace to want to even obey these commands in those relationships. 
I pray a special blessing upon the uh, Christian married couples here and ask that you would bless them in their relationship, that all of us would have ears to hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to see in Ephesians 5 that Christian husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Very basic. Christian husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So let's start with verse 25. It shows us that Christian husbands are to love their wives by sacrificing themselves for her. Christian husbands are to love their wives by sacrificing themselves for her. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, as you look at these three verses, um, verse 25 to 27, you, you may notice that this command is at, at times hard to follow. Uh, but as we've already noted, this command is not optional for us husbands. It's a command that carries with it the very authority of the triune God himself. We're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church. But as the command continues, it seems to focus more on Christ's love for the church. There seems to be a blending of Christ, the true husband, and us as husbands here. And I think that's on purpose. When we husbands, I think this is the point, when we husbands are thinking of loving our wives, we shall always think in terms of Christ's love for his church. The command for husbands to love their wives is tied together with the person and work of Christ and his love for his bride, the church. The idea goes something like this. Christ loved us and died for us. Husbands, so husbands, love your wives and die for her. Your wives. Die for your wives. Christ's relationship to the church is the model for husbands to follow. Jesus gave his life for his bride. The tone of this text is one of tender, caring sacrifice. Jesus is the archetype of husbandly love. And his love for his bride, he volunteered to lay down his life for her. He fought for her by becoming a sacrifice for her. So we husbands are to follow his ways. I think scripture intentionally mingles the command to husbands with Christ the true husband but because it's saying to be loving as a husband, we need to copy Christ and his love for his bride, the church. We need to follow, obey, and imitate him in his love. In other words, husbands, whatever Christ does for his bride is a model for us to follow in our relationship with ours. Okay, we get it. Speaking of Christ's tender care for his bride in this verse, John Stott says something quite beautiful. He says, what stands out in Paul's development of the theme is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for his bride. It is this which husbands are to imitate. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. The statement is so complete and comprehensive that some scholars think it may be a quotation from an early Christian confession, liturgy, or hymn. It seems to trace Christ's care for his church from a past to a future eternity. Christ cares completely, comprehensively, and sacrificially for his bride. Husbands, how are we doing with ours? Have we taken our eyes off Christ who gave himself up for his church? Are we growing in holiness and sacrificial love for our wives? 
Or are we maddening them with our willful disobedience to God and our stubborn selfishness with them? I also think it's worth noting that Jesus didn't simply die physically for us. Jesus, as a faithful husband to his bride, also lived his whole life to do the will of his Father. He was dedicated to obedience, and that is also a model for us Christians to follow. Are we committed to doing God's commandments and growing in holiness, or do we just do our own thing? Christ's example displays self-denial for the sake of his bride. Do we, husbands, set a similar example? Do we show our wives an example of self-forgetful concern for their well-being? This is the way of Jesus with his church. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, though marital love is a joy, uh, it's, it's a, an especial, a special joy, especially when both spouses are receiving and reciprocating love from God to one another. I want to caution us husbands against the idea of giving in order to get from your wives. The idea that we should give so we can get something in return from them. This is self-serving, not self-sacrifice. Uh, self-sacrifice, Not what this text is teaching. Not how Christ loves us. We love our wives because we love them. We don't love our wives to manipulate or use them. We love them because we've made vows to keep covenant with them. We want to love them and bless them. Our eyes are fixed on doing them good. This is simply copying Christ's love for us, right? The Lord speaks to his people in Deuteronomy 7. And he says this, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Let's thank him today for this. He doesn't love us based on our performance and how we perform for him. He doesn't love us in order to get stuff from us. All that we have is a gift that comes from him. He loves us because he loves us. He loves us because he stands by his promise and he promised to love us. He loves us because he said he would. Husbands, we're to follow suit with our wives. Now let's continue to explore how Christ loves the church and see how Christian husbands can follow him by loving their wives in similar ways. Let's look at verse 26 together. We see that Christian husbands are to love their wives in ways that promote her spiritual growth. In ways that promote her spiritual growth. So continuing, uh, look at verse 25 to 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The first thing we see here is that the cross was a means to an end. The end was not simply to save and forgive his people, though that happens. 
Here it says that Christ's cross was not only to save, but to sanctify the church. So the sacrifice of the groom leads to the sanctification of his bride. What is sanctification? John Stott again says, Sanctification appears to, uh, appears to refer to the present process of making her holy in character and conduct by the power of the indwelling spirit. To be sanctified means we, we've been cleansed already by God's spirit and grace, set apart as people who are holy and dedicated to the Lord. But scripture gets even more specific about how, that's, how the spirit sanctifies us. As we see in verse 26, the cleansing agent for his church is the washing of water with the word. Jesus also prays to the heavenly father in John 17, 17, which is for his bride. He's praying. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word is a cleansing agent in the lives of the believer. Now, what exactly in the word is being referred to here? Well, um, there's a bit of speculation about this, but I think in its context, the idea of God's promise of covenant love to his bride seems to be appropriate. It's another way of saying the gospel, the central promise of the Bible and of God himself. He says uh, that he sanctifies his people by the word. I think that is referring to mainly the gospel, the word of the gospel. Marcus Bart has concluded that the word here referred, uh, refers to the covenant promise that Jesus the groom makes to his bride, saying in effect, like we see at weddings, I love you and I do to his bride. Now listen to what Marcus Bart says. Um, he says, the Messiah as the bridegroom says this decisive word to his bride and thereby privately and publicly, decently and legally, binds himself to her and her to him. It is a solemn vow of covenant love, or solemn word of covenant love. The word of the gospel about Jesus, the good news about Jesus who came, died, rose again, and will return for his bride is a cleansing agent in our lives. It cleanses us as we believe it, Because the word reminds us that God promises to keep his covenant with us. It is also a word that reminds us of who we are. We are God's people and he is our God. He is with us and we truly grow in holiness and sanctification by going deeper with God in the very word of his love. We grow by personalizing his covenant love for us and walking with him by faith in his promise, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. He said it, and we struggle to believe it, but we know we got to believe it. Even when we come back again after another day of unfaithfulness and unfruitfulness, he remains faithful to us and his promise. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we believers do indeed grow. We help others grow as we invite them to believe, meditate, celebrate the good news of Jesus as we do. So how do we Christians do this? How do we Christian husbands do this with our wives? How do we love our wives in such a way that we become instruments in their spiritual growth? How do we wash our wives with the word of God's promise of his covenant love in Christ? In other words, how do we grow in holiness as a couple? 
going to answer that by taking you to various passages in the New Testament which show us uh, different ways the Word and the Spirit help us to grow to be more like Jesus, okay, to grow in our sanctification. Now, he is the pattern of holiness and the pattern of love that we're after, husbands. So we're going to look at many passages that you can take home and dig into yourself. Um, here are some of the ways the Word says it works to help us believers grow. Now, they won't be on the screen, uh, so please grab a pen and jot these down uh, for your reference. And uh, what I say and uh, what I say of married couples here can apply also to those of you who aren't yet married. Personalize, transfer, translate, and apply these to yourself. This is a way for you to grow and for you to help others in your relationships grow as well. How do we grow in holiness as a couple, uh, Christian uh, married couples? How do we grow by the word, you ask? Here's, here's a few ideas. First, you can grow in your relationship with one another and in your uh, sanctification first by desiring the word together. Okay, this comes from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. It says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I've found, maybe you found as well, I've found that more, the more I desire and drink in Scripture, the more I desire to drink in Scripture. It's like a contagious nature. It seems to me that in a believer's life, Scripture has a satisfying and thirsty nature to it. Uh, the more we delight in it, script, uh, the more we want to delight in it, right? Uh, we've just had a baby, of course, and uh, she desires milk from mummy a lot. And if she doesn't have her milk, she cries. And uh, that's actually being used as an analogy. She grows as she drinks the milk as well, but she cries without the milk. The point is in this text that as newborn babes uh, or babies, uh, Peter is saying, you're going to grow by getting nurture, uh, sorry, getting nourishment from the word that you drink. So drink the word up. So a um, couple ideas here. How do we do this as a couple? Um, how do we stoke the fire of our love for God's word? Um, by making time to read it. Uh, there has to be time to read it. Um, but I recognize that we all have many things that we're juggling throughout the week uh, and each day. So I'm asking you to think about how you can practically do this in your own life. Here's a couple ideas. Listening to sermons while commuting. Uh, reading our daily bread. We have them at the very front here uh, of the church. Can grab one on your way out. Pondering different books of scripture or Christian theology together. Uh, start small. There's many ways that you can do this, and uh, don't be ashamed of it. Um, you could get the Bible verse, uh, or sorry, the Bible Gateway app, and get a verse of the day, and have that as the first thing you see on your screen in the morning. Um, there's a few ways to do this. Uh, right now, as a family, we're watching the Bible Projects video on our tablet on YouTube. Uh, really, really good stuff there for our whole family. Uh, but in the past, we've done many different things. We've read whole Bible books, uh, done the New City Catechism, read the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, Nancy Guthrie's devotional um, for families. Variety is good, okay? But there's so much to be, there's so, we have so much 
to learn and to grow, and we need the word for it. So take in the word. Intake and consumption of God's word uh, is a part of spiritual growth. So make a plan to do it, uh, to, to drink it up. Uh, whatever your routine, encourage one another to drink deeply from the pure spiritual milk of the word. This is one way to grow by it. Okay. Second, be doers of the word together. So the first is to desire the word together. Second is be doers of the word together. Uh, James 1 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's verses 22 to 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The one uh, who does so perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So it appears from this passage that a real blessing we can enjoy as Christians who love the word is actually living it out is actually acting on it, applying what it says to ourselves, doing it, acting it, and actually uh, uh, personally living out what it says. Uh, So as a married couple, think of commands that are particularly relevant right now. Think of commands from Scripture that you'd like to implement in your marriage like yesterday. Okay, so uh, maybe you have some unwholesome ways that you think of one another and talk to one another around the house. Uh, So you go to Romans 12, maybe, and verse 10, where it says, Outdo one another in showing honor. And you make it your aim to speak well of your spouse whenever you speak of your spouse, whether it's just the two of you or in public with many others. You encourage and and bless them with your words and with your actions. You have permission from this very verse... Uh, to actually compete in a God-honoring way, to show honor to your spouse. Now, you're not getting brownie points or a trophy for this, but this is to be a blessing and honor your spouse. If you do this, God says, you'll be blessed in your doing. You will grow if you're a doer of the word. Third thing, dwell upon and sing the word. Colossians 3.16 and 17 said, Let the word, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it live in your heart and in your mouth and in your mind. Let the Bible shape your thinking and feelings. Sing it. Meditate on it, memorize it, make music with it, sing old hymns and new Christian songs with it, buy art with scripture on it, make art with scripture on it, let it influence the souls in your home. As a couple, think of how you might live under God's good authority and presence in his word. Those are just a few ways that you can, as husbands, use the word to build up your bride. There are so many other ways to mention as well, but I don't want to run past two other critical things that we must do as Christian husbands with our wives. Um, Here they are, and they're basic. We serve our wives, and uh, we pray for and with them. Uh, The model of Jesus, both as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and as the high priest of John 17, now emerges. Right? Jesus served his people's salvation. And he prayed that they'd be kept from the evil one. If you've received his salvation, husband, then you've been served by Christ himself. So you serve your wife. Knowing that you've received his love, you don't demand from her. She doesn't owe you. You're not over her. You recognize she is a fellow image bearer who you owe a debt of love to. 
Paul says in uh, Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Christian husbands, let's do this in our marriages. Uh, Owe our wives nothing except to love them, to do good to them. Now, I mentioned that we also help our wives grow spiritually by prayer. And this is a privilege you have as one who looks out for the spiritual well-being of your wife and your family, maybe. Jesus prayed for his followers because he knew the dangers and darkness of this world. Uh, As Christians, we must understand that uh, it's not below Satan to attack our homes, okay? He doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't fight fair. Um, In fact, I think he specializes in targeting Christian families. I don't think it's a coincidence that Ephesians 6 and the armor of God is right after instructions for home and church life in Ephesians 5. The point seems to be that satanic, Ephesians 5 and 6, because the instruction goes on in the the family in, in chapter 6. So the point seems to be that satanic opposition or spiritual warfare is not as limited as we may expect. It's not confined to one battlefield, as though when we leave our homes or our houses, then uh, we must put on our armor, because now we're in the battle. No, even in our homes, when we're relaxing in our pajamas, we don't stop being Christians, right? Um, There's a demonic enemy who is still coming after us, even at home, targeting our homes, and therefore we must guard our hearts and our homes against the schemes of the devil. And friends, let's get specific. Right now in our day and age, the schemes of the devil appear on screens a lot. Entertainment is an open door for the devil. Don't let him in. There are many messages and videos coming through our homes every day trying to pull us away from the living God. Husbands, pray for your own self. Pray for your wife. Get accountability for your own self And pray for your children as well, for the spiritual vitality of each person in your home. You can influence them towards godliness. The last thing we see in this passage is that Christian husbands are to love their wives to prepare them for their true groom. Here's the purpose statement of the passage. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her through his word. And what's the end goal? so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we have the duty and the delight of preparing our wives for the big day when they meet their true husband, Christ, their true groom. We've seen some specific ways we can do this already. And now I want to hone in on the fact that As a Christian couple, you have a unique privilege to both speak the truth in love to one another to build each other up. Because when you got married and said, I do, you two became one flesh, right? You were united to one another. And since that is the case, you have a closeness that you share with no other but your spouse. So your marriage relationship can be a significant context for sanctification and for speaking the truth into that other person's life into the subtle ways that they don't see their sin. You see it. You observe it. 
and you can gently call it out. You can gently, and I emphasize gently here, uh, gently and kindly critique each other within the context of a loving, trusting covenant. And these loving critiques become the means of growth in our life, right? This is what we see in, in mature Christian marriages, that the person that they're married to has become a real blessing and an and instrument in their life of sanctification and of growth. You can encourage and bless one another lavishly in your marriage. And I encourage you to do so often as you speak words that honor and words that may give constructive feedback. But here, um, but you are a couple and you can prepare each other for the final day when you meet the Lord. Now, how can we do that? Trying to get more specific again. The first way I think we can prepare our spouse for their true groom is by pursuing sexual purity together. Sexual purity, friends, is not just for singles with purity rings. Okay? Though sex within marriage is a gift to be celebrated in Scripture, absolutely, it's, it's right to celebrate it together. Getting married and even having sex in marriage doesn't erase temptations towards sexual sin, right? And it's not something we're entitled to either. It's not a demand we make. It's something we enjoy together. Sometimes, whether for physical weaknesses, life stages, betrayal, trauma, or other reasons, sex will be difficult to navigate for married couples. And there is a time and place for sex. But outside of this time and place, we Christians are to be holy. There will be times, and this does mean that even as married Christians, we will sometimes have to exercise self-control and self-denial sexually. And it's, not, and it's also worth noting also that in our church community, we are to conduct ourselves with purity towards the opposite sex, even when we find them attractive. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 5. He said, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So we fight for sexual purity in all our relationships as Christians, recognizing that within the church, we're family. I love what 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8 says. Um, please mark this one. This is, this is just beautiful. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8 Paul says this, and if you don't like 1 Thessalonians, please read it this week. It is a beautiful book. Um, I think you'll like it. Remember, you desire scripture, satisfies you. You'll want to delight in it more and desire it more. I bet you you'll like it. Um, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, uh, immorality that each of one of you know how to conduct his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Wow. So in the church, we're a family under the Lord our God who is our Father, and we recognize each other as sisters and brothers in Christ, right? That comes from the Bible. We're to pursue sexual purity together. The second thing I think we can uh, do to prepare our spouses for their true groom is by aiming to please the Lord together. Uh, Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 10. Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So as a couple, we make it our aim in all of our conduct to please the Lord who calls us to be holy for he is holy And we seek to please him because we know one day we will meet him. Now, that's a lot to take in. I feel like (laughs) I've just been pushing you guys all morning. It will take the Holy Spirit working in us in order to give us both the power and the desire to obey God in these commands. But what a privilege it is to do so. Because as we obey these commands, we're becoming imitators of God. We're becoming holy as he is holy. And in Christian marriage, we're becoming holy together. But there's one more thing I forgot to mention. Husbands, you can't do this command unless you've come to Jesus. You won't get it if you don't get the gospel. You can't take the burden of this commandment on unless Christ has taken your burden of sin. You'll buckle under its pressure. You can't walk this out unless you've walked yourself to the foot of the cross. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll never love your wife in these ways unless you first receive the love of the God of all grace. Have you called on him to save you from your sin? Have you received his love? And do you want to respond to it by loving him and keeping his commandments? Have you believed wholeheartedly that Jesus is Lord and has risen from the dead? If so, husbands, you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he is at work in you, making you more holy. And he's pleased when we love our wives. He's pleased when we help our wives grow spiritually. He's pleased when we serve them and pray for them and when we prepare them for their true groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, wow, we're humbled not without you. We could not do this without you. You called us to abide in Christ, to remain and to 
cling to Jesus. He's the true vine. He's the true bridegroom who is covenanted to love us. And so, Lord, will we continue to fix our eyes on his steadfast love and seek to, in imperfect ways, love those around us, starting in our homes and spreading out. But, Lord, we need you. We do recognize that your word has targeted us as those who fall short. And we need you to help us to grow in holiness, to honor you with our hearts, our lips, our lives. Please bless each person here, Lord, with a deep desire to know you better, to do your will, and 